Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Salt and Sugar Podcast. This is episode nine, and we are back with your boy Cameron. I'm Faith. Faith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great because I voted. I did my civic duty, and if you haven't voted, you need to just go ahead and vote now. Mm, mm. Yeah, look, this is uh, this is a very critical time, obviously, in the United States. Uh, we are in the process of not only evaluating a possible new president in the United States, but we are also in the process of perhaps appointing a brand new justice who is possibly going to be appointed. Yeah. Rushed ahead, uh, even though we're in the middle of an election season in which over 6 million people have already voted. And this judge, uh, Amy Barrett, if she is appointed, is 43 years old, and she would be there for... A lifetime. A lifetime. And she will be there, be there for our adulthood, uh, for Gen Z and the children that come after. She will be making the decisions for likely the next 50 to 45 years. So this is a really important time. Yeah. And this is a really important time for local elections as well. I mean, here in Georgia, we have two Senate seats that are up for election. Mm-hmm. We also have the House of Representatives that are being determined right now. So you have a lot of say in what's going to happen over the next few years for your state, your city, and your district. Yeah, so basically this is like the perfect time if you don't like something to um, fix it by voting and to like realize that your vote does matter and count. And I know that because of like presidential elections and the electoral college, people think their vote doesn't matter, but your vote really does matter. And also your vote especially matters when it comes to local elections because it's your vote that literally picks people in their position. Yo, and on top of, let's talk about mattering. Do you realize that right now that Georgia and Texas are looking at like possible swing states? Yes. That's crazy. Because because so many people have registered to vote. Now, I've known this about Texas, though. Shout out to Texas. I love Texas. Um, and, I mean, most of the major metropolitan cities were already very um, – like democratic leaning cities and then um it was really kind of like some of the outliers and then the fact that people just were not registered to vote that made it a um basically kind of like a purple they were saying it's like a purple state mm-hmm. um but you got to watch out for Texas because you get those people activated and actually registered to vote like i think i saw something that like Travis County had like 97% of their like you know, residents were registered to vote, which is like record highs. Mm-hmm. So this this is really important because Governor Abbott uh, was in the news, obviously, in the last couple of weeks because he tried to limit the amount of polling stations and reduce them from twelve to one. Right. In a county, what was one point four million people yes, or so? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Asinine, county is like gigantic. Mm-hmm. One ballot. That was just crazy. And then. So, and this is, this is, this is, this, this is small stuff. We're going to get to some more stuff. But then in Virginia, when they were trying to vote, apparently a, a cable just went out and it shut down all the machines. Yes. Like somebody said, like, it just like turned out to be like, like the line got cut or something. And I was like, mm. so wait a minute, you telling me that an entire state's voting day, it, it got thrown up in the air because of one power line, bro. Y- y'all couldn't put no tape down in the carpet. I mean, nothing. It just sounded a little bit suspicious. And it might not be, you know, it might be fine. Like, it was just an accident happened. Mm. But 
All right, Interesting. So that's that part. And then California, the uh, what they, they call the group called the Republicans of California, they were putting out faulty ballots. They were putting out faulty ballots. So when people went to drop off their early ballots, they put them in these unregistered boxes. Yeah, the ballot boxes. The ballot boxes. Yeah, it's and just, so all their votes don't count now. What? And then and then so it's even the whole the whole thing about that and that that is a punishable crime. But even the fact that like this is happening. Mm-hmm. Like to this day, this is happening. So that's that. And look, that's not even the craziest political news in the last couple of weeks. You know what happened recently in the state of Michigan? There was a group of white supremacists, white men, of course, white men, who attempted to find a way to kidnap the governor of Michigan yeah. because she was infringing on their rights and she didn't like that she was making the state liberal and that she was doing things that they politically disagreed with. So they said, you know what the most reasonable thing here is to do? Let's capture this woman and hold her for bait. And then that's not even the worst part. And then <laughs> the city that they live in, when the, the sheriff is asked, so like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? He said, well, we got to be clear here. They, they might have been doing something like an arrest, like a citizen's arrest. And I'm just like, like wait on the governor. Wow. I'm just like, so you saying like, if I just decided to pull up at Governor Kemp's house right now and just maybe take him like, I'm just doing a citizen's arrest? No way. That's wild. But how many passes do white people get to do whatever they want? And then we find out that in Virginia, the same thing was was in motion. And then the, the FBI is literally having to look out for, like, really alt-right organizations from and keep them from kidnapping governors. Because they're terrorist organizations, and at least somebody's trying to keep them in check. I've never been a fan of the FBI, and I can't say I'm a fan now, but at least they're on our side for once. I mean, I just think the fact that they're trying to just hold people accountable is um, something that's worthwhile. We need that. We need accountability. There is none. But surely, surely, Faith, come on now. I mean, let, let me let me bring some sugar into this podcast. Surely the president of the United States, he condemned these actions. Surely he has something to say about these men these supremacists, these domestic terrorists trying to take the governor of a state of the United States, surely he says something about it. You know, I haven't been online a whole lot, but I surely have not heard. I have not heard. I have heard eyes anything. have not seen. Ears have not heard. <laughs> Even on Twitter, 25 tweets a day, it had nothing to say. Listen, I just, any, I think, I don't know. The fact that this isn't problematic to people doesn't, doesn't matter what political party you're part of. Like, that's a problem. Mm. People are trying to kidnap governors. We should all be concerned about that. I don't understand why we wouldn't be. But anyways, that's just me. This is crazy. And then, you know, obviously we, we have not had a chance to speak with you all. We, we, we have missed you just like you have missed us since the debate, the vice presidential debate with Kamala Harris and uh, also Mike Pence and the introduction of uh, – I don't know what you would give this fly the name of, but there's plenty of black Twitter names that are being thrown around right now. But that was that was interesting. Very interesting. He didn't feel that fly neither. He didn't. There's so there's video there's like footage. A Twitter account for that fly. There is, <laughs> and then and then this is how big of a troll. This is how big of a troll. Whoever runs uh, the Biden campaign, they were selling fly squatters. They sold out. They sold them out. <laughs> it's called it, it said like truth over fly yeah it was yeah i mean i really want it when i'm not gonna lie that's hilarious to whoever me. did that because they did that that night mm-hmm. i was like brilliant mm-hmm. brilliant you know it's gen z you know it is something 
That's crazy though. Like, and then, and, and this is what I would say. I want to, you know, we, we we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, I don't know if you saw the episode of Lovecraft Country that just oh popped out, but God. it was crazy. But look, just a quick highlight on this. One of the things I've been sharing with people is that I actually, I actually am more concerned with white men like Mike Pence than I am with Donald Trump. Because mm-hmm. Donald Trump is loud. He's just going to tell you how he feels. He's going to show you how he feels. He's going to say, go back to your asshole country. He's going to call black women monsters and all these different kinds of names. He's belligerent. That's just how he is. But see, when you get white men like Mike Pence, especially evangelical white men, the the, the cream of the cream, right? When you get those folks, they they try to use their politeness as a means to discredit you and your story and to mute you. And so even like when he's talking and then I thought it was, and this is the thing that was crazy about the fly. So the fly, when it got on him, I remember I was texting a pastor friend of mine. That was the question they asked him about Breonna Taylor. Like, so do you think Breonna Taylor got justice? And he went around and didn't answer. Not a question. And that fly landed there. I said, that's a sign from the Lord. <laughs> but it's just when you have like white men is particular that try to use this quietness, this veil of what they call politeness, this veil of kindness, as they call it, when they try to use that to mim- to mute your voice and to essentially like to show themselves to be like these stoic kind of heroic-like figures who are capable of leadership when they're actually extremely dismissive and insensitive. Yeah. And you can even tell that in a conversation that happened after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so that, that was crazy. So um, also, if you have not heard, the Los Angeles Lakers are now the NBA champions for the seventh time in NBA history. They are now tied with the Boston Celtics for 17 championships in NBA history. And I have to congratulate LeBron James, who I have always been a big supporter of LeBron. I think off the court, he is one of the most spectacular leaders that we've ever had. Yeah. But I would also like to congratulate Los Angeles Lakers fans for another bot championship. Yes. Another bot championship. They haven't drafted an all-star player since Magic Johnson in the 1980s, or actually 1970s, but you got another bot championship. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I, love, I do salt, like the Lakers. No, I do like all. the Lakers, but, you know, it is watching, being from Denver and having homegrown teams yeah. this entire time, then yeah. watching us, like, actually develop a squad, and then, you know, they are on the, the squad just... Mm. I mean, they're good. They're just, like, we don't live on no, the West Coast. Just, we yeah, don't have, like, yeah. an ocean... And like we don't have like all these, you know, what the the what comes with being in Los Angeles, which we know what comes with being in Los Angeles. There's celebrities, there's yeah, women but everywhere. Like, what does it have to do with the fact that your team didn't win? Well, what it's the politics of the, of the NBA. And if you're if you're a sports fan, you're aware of this. That there is a there's a New York bias, there's an LA bias, and there's there's a Miami bias a little bit, and Chicago bias. They're bigger markets. They yeah. draw more business, more people. So it's harder for teams that are inside of the actual states, like the Midwest teams, for instance, yeah. to actually develop teams because you don't have the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. or access, or the, the cities aren't as extravagant as living in Los Angeles is. So these are amazing cities. Yeah. And so it's just, as somebody who has been a, a Denver Nuggets supporter right. for years, I remember watching Kobe run through the Denver Nuggets for decades. Mm-hmm. And it was so it was so hurtful. But I, I like Kobe a lot. But yeah. it's just w- watching it happen repeatedly. And then now we're here and, you know, watching LeBron – uh, again, one of my favorite players of all time joined the Lakers. It was just like, I'm like happy, but I'm also like <sighs> deep sigh. It's okay. You know, anyway, you're loyal. That's, that's something that you all don't, don't listen to this podcast core. Cause my pain is not a concern to you at all. So, uh, so we have, 
Lovecraft Country, and there is so much that just happened in episode nine. And yeah. before we get we get started, what did you think of the episode? I said this when we were watching it. So I watched it with friends, um, and one thing I said was that this was the first. Like I've seen documentaries, right? But this is the first dramatic depiction that felt very real and close to home of what it was like for people during the Tulsa riots. Mm. Because everything else that I had seen, while it was good, it wasn't like even it, it didn't like emotionally grab me as like as deeply as this did. And I mm-hmm. just think it was a part of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Also, um, you know, they touched on this in Watchmen. So they had, like, some elements of this in there, but the emotion you felt, like, what's going on? Or they're coming, and, like, the, you know, um, them chasing Letty down the street, like, all of that, like, just, like, the emotion of it, it was just, like, dang. Mm-hmm. I, like, just sitting in this and watching it, it made me kind of sad and frustrated because mm-hmm. it was, like, you know, people talk about the black community, like, well, why don't y'all have your own? Why don't you, um, why don't you have your own um, businesses? Why don't you do this, like this different ethnic or minority group and da da da? And it's like we've tried, mm-hmm. we've tried, mm-hmm. and um, we were just terrorized, and that has impacted generations. Like Tulsa, like the black community, they never bounced back from that mm-hmm. ever, and I think. Um, that's so unfortunate because that was such a like rich and robust community for black people. And it's just so upsetting. Just even thinking about it and watching it was like upsetting and heartbreaking Hmm. to watch. So for those of you that might not be as aware of what happened in June of 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to give you some context, that was at the time the city that was called black wall street. It was located in Greenwood, of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And at the time, this city was the most successful African-American majority city in the United States. And this was a city that was born out of need. Uh, Obviously, because of segregation in Oklahoma, we were not allowed to do and live life uh, with white people. And so this city was created, and we had our own schools, movie theaters, hospitals, lawyers. I mean, you go up and down the list. It was uh, an exceptionally run city. Um, you know, there's even some stories that they mentioned uh, inside of the episode about some of the folks who were, were killed during this, uh, this this heinous incident. So this is what I want you all to be able to hear directly from us, especially. So if if that if that is given the the levity that it should be that incident, mm-hmm. that will be the single largest domestic terrorist attack in American history. So when this happened, the reason it happened is because a 19 year old black bellboy was accused of raping a 17-year-old white girl. And so because there was so much jealousy around the city already, because of how well it was doing economically, because there was so much jealousy that once this story got out, that's to this day, there's no proof that this happened. But once the rumor got out that this black boy had raped this white girl, the neighboring whites went absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. They got in their airplanes, they bombed the city, They shot people. They burned people. In one day, the most prosperous black city in the United States, in one day was burned from the face of the earth. Over 300 people were killed. 300 people were killed. And over 6,000 people were displaced from the city. Mm -hmm. 
So HBO in the last year, uh, with the adaptation of Watchmen, mm -hmm. and now with Lovecraft Country, they have done the most serious committed visual work yeah. to memorizing what happened that yeah. day and commemorating uh, the events of the Tulsa riots. And so what people need to realize, to Faith's point, that when they when we're told as black people that we need to get our own thing and get our own cities, businesses, all that stuff, it's always true, but people need to realize that that's an example of white violence right. and retaliation. 1906 in Atlanta, the Atlanta riots were over race. That was an example of white violence. Uh, in Seneca, New York, when we had a prospering black city in New York, it was destroyed. It was taken from them. Yep. So around the country, we have had to deal with this. And so I thought it was such a, a necessary and meaningful way of telling this story because I think what it did, it gave us some highlights and not just what happened in the events, but the actual people that were affected and killed. Right. And so we'll get into that later, obviously, but it's really important for you that if you have the opportunity, take the opportunity to please Google. There's documentaries that are available on YouTube that you can watch about what happened in the Tulsa riots. But again, it was the largest domestic terrorist attack on American history and most of us did not learn about that in school. Mm -hmm. yep. So we have an update with Montrose. Mm. So apparently. It's always something with Montrose. But you know what? I actually like his character development. I think he's arcing up. But there's somebody else we're going to talk about that doesn't seem to be arcing up. I think he is arcing up. But the thing is, it's like they never like. Uh, how do I say it? It's like. Like, you, there's always something new with Montrose that you discover. He's mm -hmm. very layered. And so just when you think you know, nope, mm -hmm. there's, there's mm -hmm. another secret that mm -hmm. comes out. So Montrose says, to tick, when D is in need of blood from a relative. Yeah, the closest relative to the her. closest relative. Montrose says to tick that he might not be his dad. Wow. And obviously, Tick loses his mind. Yes. So when this happened, again, I don't, I don't know. Like maybe I, we didn't really get told in, in inside of the episode. But do you know? Did you pick up any like framework of how that relationship worked with Nora? That like George, because I wasn't. So remember, remember this too. When early episodes, when George was having these dreams about a woman, was that was that Tick's mother that he was having those dreams about? Oh, it might have been. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I been, I was thinking about that like that like that was like the woman that got away. Yeah. Almost. Yes, I think so actually. So How do you say that. Here's the thing. Here's my question. Mm -hmm. Is and again, this is all speculation. Don't don't jump on George. George could still be a great character across the board. Uh, was George? Is it possible that George was married to Hippolyta, and he had a thing? with Nora, and then when she found out she was pregnant or something around that happened, was he dating Hippolyta? So when he found out it happened, that Montrose might have just took the fall, quote-unquote, form and and claimed Atticus as his own son? Because this is what I'm not understanding. Like, because that's possibly his child. Well, how did that relationship dynamic work? Could George seem to be going to prom with her? Suppose He was supposed to go to prom with her. I mean, I think it's kind of like what Montrose was saying was that, like, all three of them were like really close, and also um, that's close. Well, 
Yeah, that's real close. But that all three of them were really close and that Nora and George were really good friends. And it's almost like he could understand why, like, that would have happened. And I almost think that maybe that's, like, lending to him acknowledging that, hey, I know I haven't even been the best to her. And I understand how that could have happened. But then also he really wanted his son. So he lived in the the in-between, you know, like mm. – if it is my brother's, that's okay because my brother is a good guy, like maybe even better than me in some ways. But I do still want a son, and so I'm not going to, like, you know, try to figure out is he mine or is he not mine. I'm just going to say he's mine and treat him as such. Plus, George had a very influential role in Tick's life. He was almost like Tick's dad in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So it's a really messed up thing between brothers, but it's kind of almost like he had the best of both worlds. You know what's crazy? This doesn't really fall off too far from like old black stories that I hear about my great grandparents and all that <laughs> stuff. Like, yeah. you know, stuff that would be on social media on public now. I mean, think about it. If you, you know, two brothers, one girl, pregnant by one, married to the other, like, you know, that's that's wild, right? But I've heard some family stories in my, yeah. you know, in way back in the Miller side and way back in the friend side back in the day that, I mean, you know, having, having affairs and, you know, they'll take the baby from the, the, the love baby and, and bring it to the, the the married family and then, like, all that stuff. So it could be that. Yeah. I don't know. So here's my thing. This is the one I really wanted to talk to you about, Faith, because we had a conversation earlier this season about Ruby. Mm-hmm. Ruby was having a conversation with her girl slash boyfriend, Christina. Mm-hmm. Whatever they are. They Whatever labeled, they are. They haven't labeled themselves. They have something. It's a something. Yeah, I feel like she. I feel like we're moving towards like she's having a relationship with Christina now. But you know, anyway. So when they're downstairs negotiating, they're negotiating the protection of Ruby's sister. Yeah, but yeah. Basically, like you do what you want, but just don't mess with my sister. Exactly. You can kill Tick. I don't care. Yeah. I was like, dang, Ruby, it's cold. She never liked him. So. So, and then. She unplugs the white woman that she had been taking the shape yeah, of. Becoming, yeah, becoming her, yeah. With the potion. And then she says to Christina, when I used to imagine being white, I always saw myself as a redhead. And I said, what? That's not the answer you're supposed to be giving. If you're pro-black, you're supposed to be like, I, I'm going to ride my way out in my beautiful black skin and all this other stuff. And... But I brought this up to you earlier this season, and you didn't agree with me. I, I, do you? I think, I think personally, I feel like she's turning a little bit. I feel like she likes that power, I, and I think, I think this is the thing. Christina has called her out a couple of times now. The first time was when she said, "Hey, you ain't even got to be a white woman if you don't yeah. want to. Let me leave this potion right here." She took the potion. She left the money, and then, and then, when it came back around the next time, where when it came to Emmett Till. Christina told her, I really don't think you care. Yeah. I really don't think that really gets to you. And remember, Christina walks away. We didn't hear anything else. Ruby just kind of sat there like, maybe I don't. Maybe I do. And then now you get, if I was going to be white, I want to be a redhead white woman. I'm just like, I think that she, as we're finding more about, about, about her character, I think she loves the power. She loves what comes with it. But... It, it seems almost like I don't want to say she's taking a villain turn, but at least when I saw it, it kind of felt like a kind of a villain turn. I think that Ruby is like torn between like her family 
in her blackness and power. And Christina has the power in magic, and it's what Ruby wants. Ruby wants respect and control of herself and her life more than she wants anything else. Mm. And I think that when she said that, I was like, oh, no, Ruby? Like, come on, girl. But, like, that, the seduction of power, of being whoever she wants to be, and having that respect, I don't think she wants to give that up. So now it seems like they're going to try to get somebody else who to be unconscious and take some redhead, and so then she can be a redhead. But I do think that over time we're going to have to really question Ruby's loyalties and is Ruby going to really be able to be trusted because I think she's giving, you know, Christina her allegiance. She sounds like an infiltrator now. She's starting to feel like one, yes. But then you have, like, you know, everybody's kind of made deals with Christina now. So, like, I don't know. I think, well, I think Letty, Letty originally went into making a deal with Christina when she gave up the book of names. Yeah. Or the, at least the, you know, the translations. Yeah. When, when she did that, she did it to try to protect Atticus. Right. But she didn't give that protection to him. Yeah. And then she then said, well, I'll only put it on you because again, Christina knew she needed to take her, you know, what she's going to do. But then I, I think Letty, I don't really, cause Letty, you know, it's crazy. So when we found out, you know, we first heard about Letty, she was supposed to be like this really promiscuous girl, all this other stuff. Found out that she was a virgin, that she actually wasn't like that at all. Yeah. And then now we find like she's in a situation. I don't think she took that that like cloak of, of invincibility just because. I think she did it because to protect the baby. Yeah. I, I think, think she, she actually thought she was secondary in that yeah. trans- transaction. Yeah, I think she did it for the baby. Mm-hmm. But it's been really interesting to see like what's gonna happen like with her from now having this like, you know, invincibility, I guess. And then Tick, when he made the deal, he did it to to protect his family. Yeah. Without obviously Letty got mad at him because she didn't he didn't include yeah. her, but he did it to protect everyone, which I think is also a complex of men that we feel like we needed to protect everybody, but we don't always do it the the right way. So this this is all very layered in how the character development yeah. has flowed so far. So I'm actually really interested to see what happens next. So next thing is when we're in the in the time machine and now Montrose is with Letty and Tick, and they're watching Montrose's father beat him. Mm-hmm. And something that his father says to George when he walks by George after beating Montrose is that at least I ain't the only man in the house. And then, in prior to this, this is when he's getting beat. He he says to to Montrose like, because you want to wear a flower in your hair. And so it seems that what's that thing called that you give ladies during prom? Corsage. A corsage. I never took anyone to prom, so I don't. Anyway, that's a sad story you don't want to hear. So I was broke, but so when this happened, and like it immediately like drew up this this feeling of man. Not only like, obviously, does he learn like how to beat and hit and how to take all the soft parts away, as Montreux said, Mm -hmm. but it even told him how to hate himself, like that you would even want to have like a flower in your head. And I also think this too, I think that people make a lot of mistakes. And so here, really the question is this, how do we create space for young black children, young children in general, but young black children specifically to even question their own sexual identity? And one of the things that I think needs to be understood is that even in this instance, it's like 
his father didn't have to feminize him having a flower in his head. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I put flowers in my head when I was a kid. If I saw him on a movie, I would just put them in my head. Yeah. You know, I would try my dad's shoes on. I mean, I might have tried my mom's shoes on at some point, but you're just being a kid. Like, you're just, you're operating. You're trying out the world. You know, it's like when a baby, when they're learning about the world, they have oral sensations. So they put everything in their mouth. That's how they understand death, survive, good, not good. It's just how they process information. And so yeah. I think, like, he's just simply, like, exploring what he might like. But then immediately what happens is as he's exploring it, he's demonized for exploring it. He's vilified by his own father. The most central figure to a black man's life is the black father. Mm-hmm. And that person tells him, that that thing is bad, what you are trying to do, what you feel is bad. And then we see that played out when Montrose is talking to his friend, whom he apparently they share feelings for each other at some level. Yeah. And even when he's talking to his friend before he dies, saying that, like, calling him uh, the F word and all that stuff and how he's communicating to him. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's just breeding hate. I truly believe that wherever you are on your theological spectrum, your social spectrum, whatever it is, you have to give children the opportunity to at least express what they might be feeling or thinking about themselves. Because what happens if you don't, like the suicide rates are there, the depression is there, the anxiety is there. When, when children are struggling with their sexual identity and they don't know how to express it or can't, or they're even being tortured not to, it doesn't create like a healthier environment for whatever you think you're protecting your child from. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of what I saw in that instance. And so I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, but it just kind of came to mind for me. I think for me, one of the main things that I saw was, um, well, first of all, like his dad, like awful, yeah. like the way that he was beating him. And then it also makes a lot of sense, you know, why Montrose was the way that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, he was beat by his father, and so Montrose then beat Tick. And so Montrose, it's interesting because you've seen this whole season that, um, you know, Tick has this disdain for his father. Mm-hmm. And you're watching Montrose look back at his life and have this disdain mm. for his father because of how he treated him. And so I just think that um, parents have an opportunity to really – love their children and um, really to cultivate them and to cultivate their hearts. And when you don't do that, you create people like Montrose and people like Tick who then have this like undercurrent of anger. And, you know, for Tick, it's like, gosh, I didn't think that was in me, Mm. but it's in him, that anger, that rage. That's a really good point. That's a really good, I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought about that. Like there is absolute correlation to anger that his father expressed. Tick, expressed frequently yeah it just didn't play itself out the same yeah yeah like how and he and it's almost like he hates that that comes out of him you know when he gets angry he cries every time yeah because he like doesn't want to be that but that's also how he's like seen things handled and how he's like and um the way things have been quote unquote resolved (laughs) it's just like to act out on your anger act out on whatever that emotion is and that's the way that you deal with the underlying hurt. Montrose has a lot of underlying hurt that was never dealt with until he became the very thing he hated. One thing my parents always told me, which I thought was really great advice, my mom would say this all the time, don't focus on not being like me. Because in your attempt to focus on being like me, not being like me, you'll end up being a whole lot more like me than you want to, mm. well, than you want to be, right? Like you'll 
Um, when I was little, you know, if I was like mad, I'd be like, I don't want to be like you, you know? <laughs> and, um, it's interesting because she's really right. Like the more you focus on what you don't want to be, you end up embodying that very thing. Mm. Instead, you just need to really focus on, Hey, like I want to be, you know, this version of myself and that's what I want to try to and aspire to be. But instead, like if you have that thought, Kind of like how Tick does. I don't want to be like my father. I don't want to be like my father. But then the minute something happens and he gets angry, he is like, you know, lashing out in anger, beating people, beating up his dad. Like he's this, he's doing the same thing. Mm. And he's doing the same thing that his grandfather did. And so in order to like make a change, like you have to shift your perspective, you know? So anyways. Wow. That's good. That Tick really has to break that generational trauma. Yeah. Of violence and anger. And I think it's going to start with forgiveness. Mm. Forgiving his dad for, I mean, I think the list is forgiving his dad for beating him, for taking out that suppressed anger mm-hmm. on him. Mm-hmm. Forgiving his dad for, I think, at some level being gay. Yeah, and abandoning him mm-hmm. and their family, being mm-hmm. like not there for his mom. Mm-hmm. So think about that. His dad wasn't really there for his mom, and I think Matros probably feels guilty for that. Um, that he wasn't really a good husband and a good father. And so he was kind of like the fact that George is here and has helped raise Tick and all this other stuff, like almost like he kind of like deserves that because I've I've messed up. I haven't given him anything. And he had such a low self-esteem that he already didn't feel like he had anything to offer. And so he lived his life from this like point of shame and guilt and anger. And I think that's because he never even forgave his father either. Then having to see it. Yeah. When he went back. Because even before he entered the portal, he was just shook. And I don't even know if it was Tulsa, like the riots that was making him feel that way. Mm-mm. He was shook going into it. He was shaking inside of the room. And then when he got to the outside of the home, he was shook. Just the, like the the reality of what trauma. what turned him into what he became, mm-hmm. just undealt with trauma. Yeah, and you're looking at what you've become. He was looking at his father, and that's what he had become. Hmm. So does it work like the other way as well? Like, if I say I don't want to be six eight, like, well, I just can I get there? Okay, move on. Okay, because <laughs> see if that works. I think it's good to stay on this point. So. One of the things that I think is most powerful has been the revitalization of the relationship between black father, black son. Yeah. I think from a community standpoint, that is a place of genuine healing that needs to happen. I think on this episode, in the series, it is just a genuine, growing, evolving relationship of two people in their own way, asking for forgiveness Mm -hmm. and receiving forgiveness. So when... When Tick and, and Montrose, when they're having the conversation prior to Tick saving his father's life and his mother's life mm-hmm. and his uncle's life, and then switch George and Montrose, because this could be uncle and father still. So saving his relatives. Yeah. So when this happened, Tick was 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 hesitant to allow Montrose to save his, his friend who got shot in the head that day. And and he didn't want he didn't want his father to do anything to change the future. And Tick's mind, Tick was worried that if this friend survives and you are gay, you're gonna walk into your your sexuality, and that's gonna prevent Tick from being born, 
because now he's not going to be with Nora. He's going to live a homosexual lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But what was so powerful, and I felt honestly, in in a scriptural standpoint, I felt an element of Joseph in this in this part, because what was so powerful was Montrose said to Tick that even 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 if he saved his friend, that wouldn't change a thing. Because more than anything else, more than even accepting his own sexuality, what was most important to him was being a father mm-hmm. and caring for Tick. That was the central point of his life. Yeah. And I thought that was so absolutely amazing. Yeah. Because I think that that is such a turnaround from where we started in the series where Tick didn't want anything to do with his dad. And then his dad struggling with his identity, his dad not knowing how to love his son, not even really at times looking like he wanted to. But then even the last episode, episode eight, when he cast a spell to protect Tick, it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to do it. If, I, if, 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 if somebody has to do it, it's going to be me. And then now we get him saying to Tick that, like, my whole life is around you. It's centered around you. And that hit me so powerfully because, like, my dad has said stuff like that to me before, like, like, you're my life. Like, I am here to make sure you have what you need. And I thought it, that is such, and that's such a, it's like it, that by itself is a cloak of invisibility Yeah. for a black son. Like, to hear from his father that you are it for me. Like, you're you're the reason why I go to work and I wake up and I take care of the home and I, I pay bills or I bring food home. Like, you are the reason. And so I thought when he communicated that to Tig, and, and it's funny because Tick, like, leaned into him, like, to give him, like, this really, really mm-hmm. big hug. And it didn't really get there. But it's, it's like they're fighting against even that inclination. And Tick, and Tick was weeping. Yeah. But he And he wanted to embrace his father fully. But something just wasn't letting him. I, I feel yeah. like in episode 10, like, we're going to get there. I don't know if Montrose, the character, makes it. I don't know if Tick, the character, makes it. But I feel like before we get there, that's going to happen. I hope so. I mean, I hope that it can be a picture of like redemption that can happen between mm. the two of them. But, you know, who knows? But I do know that I think the key for Tick in order for him to, you know, well, we don't know what's going to happen, but if he's able to be a father to this son that he has, like the the key to breaking this cycle of like anger and abuse and all of this stuff is for him to start to make amends. And to resolve some things in his heart with his dad. And the truth is, is your childhood is like, those are your most like impactful years of your life. And what happens in your childhood really directly determines what kind of an adult you're going to be based on what trauma you have. Um, And if you have unlike dealt with trauma, that's really going to impact you as an adult. And so it's so important for children to feel loved and secure and safe. And so, you know, this past weekend, <laughs> I was watching my niece and nephew, and they're three and one, and so they're just everywhere and in everything. But it's one thing my nephew always tells me and comes up to me and says all the time is, I love you. Like, I just, I love you so much. And I make sure to affirm him and let him know that I love him too because it's so important for kids um, at that age as they're forming their like bonds and sense of security to feel loved and safe. And I think if Atticus and Montrose can kind of like come together and find some semblance of restoration, that would actually make a big impact on their relationship and maybe like how they move through the world together moving forward. 
depending on who we don't know who's gonna survive so depending on who survives yeah and to wrap up that point i brought up about joseph in the bible one of the one of the things that is most missed about that story is that joseph could have walked away because remember the the instruction was not for joseph and mary the instruction was for mary you you will be you will be the mother yeah. of the son of the lord and that this is your your call right joseph chose to stay and we don't get a lot of joseph in the new testament but we do have this inference that joseph was beloved he had either he probably had likely died mm-hmm. um seemingly when between the age of 12 and 30 when jesus had actually walked into his ministry and so but joseph was a transformational figure because joseph is the one that protected jesus because again the father had given him an assignment and joseph chose to be a stepdad and joseph is the one that took jesus into egypt mm-hmm. to protect him from king herod and so I just, I've always loved that story in just how he chose to operate in what he was supposed to do. And, and even just claiming this child that was not his by blood, right. but was, was still his. And so I just thought that was such a, a great scene to pull out. Mm-hmm. So one of the last things is the whole scene with Letty and the grandmother in the fire. Oh my gosh, that was so good. What'd like, you think? It was just moving. It. It was just so moving, and it just reminded me of, like, I don't know. I just have so much respect for our ancestors, like, so much respect for my grandparents and great-grandparents and just the life that they lived and that everything they did was for their legacy, like, for the next generation. And just to, like, hear her talk Mm. and to just be sharing scripture in that moment but to watch her be consumed by those flames, like that took me out. That was hard to watch. HBO, like they they show everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the fact that you know she felt this urge at first. She was worried about Letty, like you know who are you? Then Letty said, Letty shared her story, and I think the next part of that was, that was most important. That was subtle was that he be- she believed Letty. Yeah, that was a really big part of that because everybody could have died that she didn't. Yeah. But then even the urge. When she realized that the whole family was destined to die that day, she could have went downstairs and did whatever she could, but they still would have died. Or she could have fulfilled the assignment that she had at that moment to hand the book of names over to Letty. And she said that, and this is this is what's so powerful to me. She said that I was instructed to safeguard this. And then as she was walking to Letty, she quoted, for I know the plans that I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you. Mm-hmm. In Jeremiah 29, 11. And when she handed the book of names over to her, she is passing on this legacy. Yeah. And but what she said, what she said to Letty, she said that when my great great grandson is born, he will be my faith turned to flesh. Yeah, that was powerful. Wow. Like just and that to me that is that is the that is the burden of those who have come before us, our great grandmothers, our grandmothers, our yeah. fathers, our mothers. You are you are literally my faith that's been born out into this world. I have suffered and endured and gone through trials and tribulation and racism and every kind of iteration of pain imaginable. But I have safeguarded you and protected you and built you up that you may be great in this land. Like that was yeah. such a prophetic old testament kind of communication and i just thought that whole scene was perfect and even letty having to watch her be consumed by the flames yeah and then letty's walk as she leaves the house and as she is crossing the street and the bombs are coming down and she's clutching 
this gift that her great great grandmother had yeah. left for her. And as she is walking in the fire, is attempting to consume her, but yet she is determined more than ever to make sure she fulfills her purpose. And I just thought that was just exceptional. Yes, that was incredible. Yeah, that moment was just so powerful. And I feel like they, like, get us with those one-liners and those powerful moments where you're just sitting there like, what just happened? But, okay, one last thing. I thought it was really crazy how, you know, Hippolyta had, she was basically in her own alternate universe. But how she used her own, like, strength, essentially, to, like, open up the portal to get them in. She was the motherboard. But did you notice those, like, things in her arm? And I was like, what has happened? We need to learn more about this. She like, said she was she was, she was was alive for 200 years in yes, a way. Yes, 200 years. And still came back to save her daughter. Like. She can name herself and be whatever she wanted to be for 200 years. 200 years. Mm. I just love that. I love that she named herself. She's so powerful and. Just like as a black woman, I like I still have been pondering on that, like naming myself. What does that look like for me? Um, I wonder what the blue hair means. I don't know. Something powerful. Who knows? But she's great. I they better not kill her off. That trailer for the last episode yeah. in the red room in Hippolyta, I was like. Bro, she is she met is she is she changing into something like is she pregnant like <laughs> she says like my magic I'm leaving a gift like I'm like what is this gift you know so I'm I'm actually really excited for that yeah so this was an amazing episode this might be my favorite episode we got a chance to do yeah it's good so it's look we have one more episode yeah and season finale of Love Girl and then we also have a season finale of the Salt and Sugar podcast yes as well yes yo season one has been dope it's been fun. Look, so look, we got one more episode of Lovecraft Country. We have one more episode of the Salt and Sugar podcast. Please, 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 if you love what we're doing, if you love what you're hearing, please share it with your friends and your family and your loved ones, the people that like you, the people that hate you, so you can get them on your side. Look, we are here. I'm Cameron. I'm Faith. And we will catch you the next time.